Always great having him. Uh, you know, well, David Birdsell, the fine pro of King University, nice enough to join us on a Thursday morning. A very good morning to you, sir. Everything okay? Everything's great, Jay. Good morning to you. Good to have you aboard. A lot going on in the world these days, including a big, uh, a big summit out in San Francisco, and Joe Biden and uh, Xi Jinping meet for the first time. Uh, in a year, David, uh, give me a sense, uh, overall assessment of what you have seen, heard, read, uh, all that took place uh, yesterday, a little presser last night around 8 o'clock. Give me an assessment. Well, there were some still important gains during this summit. Uh, most important, in my view, is the agreement to reestablish uh, bilateral communications, particularly around potentially sensitive military encounters, which have become much more likely with China's weaponization of the South China Sea. Uh, there was, of course, no progress on that issue. There was some tamping down of China's rhetoric on Taiwan. They make it clear that they still seek reunification, uh, but did not, during the course of this summit, uh, talk about doing so by force, which is progress of a sort. Uh, it allowed both leaders to walk away claiming that they had achieved something, and it allowed China to walk away saying that it had talked about, while downplaying the prospect of open conflict, uh, that it had projected strength and talked about its global role. Uh, and, you know, the reality is that we have the first and second largest militaries, the first and second largest economies, uh, a tremendous amount of contact between the two countries in, in industrial terms, uh, in shipping terms, in terms of the uh, financial entangle entanglement between the two countries. Any even small progress in this regard is important because there is no practical way to completely disentangle these two countries without enormous damage to the economies of both. No question, no question about it. You know, I kind of take a different view, though. I mean, it's great to have discussions. It's uh, it's interesting, these two kind of walking in the garden and everything else. I mean, that's a good optic and every, everything. I'll give you that. But, you know, I still think, obviously, you got to dictate it with a nefarious nature about them. And these things erupt, you know, like no tomorrow after these types of discussions. We've seen that in history in the past, as far as these summits are concerned. But, in essence, you know, I still get a sense that she was coming here only to bolster Joe Biden in the polls somewhat. They're very aware of what's happening with an election in 12 months and, and all that's going on here, and they know how dismal the numbers are for Biden. And I think if she gets if, if she had if, if he gets his way, he wants another four years with this guy, without question. I think Timing is everything. He's going to do everything he can to make sure that Biden retains that seat in the White House. And there are other things I wanted to see a little bit more of. I wanted to see a little bit more regarding the fentanyl talks. Uh, the COVID would pass. We still haven't had a full determination there. I wanted to hear a little bit more regarding the base as far as Cuba and the spying going on with the balloon and everything else taking place January and February. February. You didn't get a lot of that t type of discussion, David. You certainly didn't get a lot of discussion about uh, the anything having to do with Cuba, anything having to do with the balloon. Uh, there was some progress on fentanyl with talking about the uh, uh, 
Chinese, we're talking about the Chinese agreement to uh, take some of the precursor chemical compounds and limit their production or transshipment to the United States. Uh, so there was a little bit of movement on that front. I, I, I'm not sure I can uh, can agree with the idea of uh, Xi Jinping wanting another uh, four years of Joe Biden, except to the extent that he is a more predictable partner uh, than a prospective return of Donald Trump. But if you look at what has actually happened, as opposed to what either uh, president, while be, while serving as president, said about China, uh, Donald Trump talked tough, but aside from the tariffs, he didn't do much. Uh, Joe Biden has done quite a bit uh, to uh, make life difficult for the Chinese, particularly in, uh, with regard to the exchange of uh, our highest value uh, digital technologies. And the chip restrictions under the Biden administration have caused real pain uh, for China. They will ultimately be able to get around those by increasing their uh, the quality of their manufacturing and the volume that they're able to get to, particularly in very, very thin microprocessors uh, at the uh, three to four nanometer scale. Uh, but they don't have those capacities right now um, at scale. And that's one of the reasons that they, quite frankly, that they want to reunify with Taiwan. There are long historical reasons that predate the digital era. But Taiwan has the world's most sophisticated chip manufacturing capabilities. And if China were able to reacquire that uh, that country, uh, that would instantly uh, vault them to the front of the world queue in chip manufacturing. Uh, so there are things that Biden has done in that regard. The other reason why I'm skeptical about that is that I'm not sure this actually helps Joe Biden, uh, because Donald Trump is absolutely certain to use this as a club to beat him with arguing that he is too weak on China uh, and add some foreign policy concerns uh, to the long list of concerns that American voters have with the idea of a Biden re-election. Yeah, no doubt. David Bursell with us. Uh, listen, all good thoughts. You know, I look at it like this. you got adversaries, Russia, Iran, North Korea. We know they threaten us, David. They have to be countered. China is our foremost threat from a national security standpoint. I mean, let's peel back the onion a little bit between Ukraine and Russia, and Russia's main bagger is that of China. You look at what's happening with Hamas uh, in Gaza. Much of the terrorism is funded by Iran, who uh, has a regime funded through the, uh, the oil sales, black market, and that to China. So, in essence, China's key to hear all of this. I'm just wondering to be a fly in the wall yeah. regarding those types of discussions. What do you think? Oh, that, that's uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, uh, China is the, uh, depending on how you count, the second largest economy in terms of what you can do with the size of the uh, the GDP they're able to generate. Uh, they can do a little bit more because things are cheaper to buy in the areas of the world, including China, in which they operate. Uh, but they are trying very deliberately, and not secretly, they are very open about this, and Xi Jinping was saying the same thing uh, this week, uh, albeit in a slightly softer way, that China is a major player on the world stage, that we are no longer in a unipolar world, we're in a multipolar world. Uh, and what China really sees is that it's a bipolar world. Uh, they talk about the philosophy of sovereignty, which of course stops the minute that you try to oppose Chinese interests. I'm going to take a very interesting case of the Philippines, where the Philippines under their uh, prior president, Rodrigo Duterte, 
tried to approach China, uh, made it clear that he did not want even to see the renewal of U.S. Uh, naval and air bases in, China, in the Philippines. Uh, but now, uh, Ferdinand Marcos's uh, grandson, uh, you have a sharp divergence and a re-embrace of the United States as China seeks to block off uh, Philippine access to the South China Sea less than 100 miles off the coast of the Philippines, which under international law should be Philippine territorial waters. Uh, and I find the most frightening of all of these things, and yes, we should absolutely be concerned about China's willingness uh, to buy Russian oil, to buy Iranian oil, uh, blunting the force of any U.S. or European uh uh, boycotts and tariffs and blockades of uh, those resources, uh, but the active kinetic presence in the South China Sea and particularly around the Spratly Island complex, uh, that is terrifying. Uh, that is the place where there is most likely to be a kinetic event uh, that prompts a conflict. And I, I, I worry most about that in the China relationship. Couldn't agree with you more that China, while a necessary partner in some respects is also our greatest security problem yeah no doubt david birds with us a couple of minutes i just have a problem with the fentanyl you know we we know it's taken lives seventy thousand or thereabouts but i i still don't understand the deal if they are cutting it down as far as the production uh and the united states will let china's secure and inspiring apparatus uh be able to freely access our technologies, continuing its repression and everything else here. I just don't trust China. I, I don't. How do you possibly trust them, David? Uh, with all that's been said and done, and 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 listen, they've got a terrible, terrible history of of this. Uh, how do we possibly uh, think they're going to uphold their end of the bargain? But China is uh, a nation that has certainly under Xi Jinping, but well before Xi Jinping's ascension to power, has taken the long view. Uh, they have goals. They're willing to work decades for those goals. Uh, they're willing to see someone else who might be your child, your grandchild, your great-grandchild uh, walk into uh, a world where those goals can be realized. So I think the, the question is always, uh, to a certain extent, transactional uh, and subject to reevaluation. What can you do that will be productive? And will those productive things change the way that China thinks about its long-term goals, its national security, et cetera? Uh, in, in my view, engagement is the best strategy. Uh, an isolated China is a more dangerous China, a China that recognizes that it cannot decouple from, go to war with, uh, in, other, in, in other ways, less... Uh, frightening, uh, amp up its hostilities with the United States without seriously damaging its own interests. And one thing that the Communist Party in China lives in constant fear of uh, is a restive population that does not see the value proposition, which is essentially, you don't worry about politics, you don't worry about who's in charge of this regime or what we do, and we'll make you prosperous. And that and that that happened largely between say 1980 uh, and 2015. That has sharply changed in direction with the huge unemployment rates among uh, young Chinese, 25 percent plus. We don't have very solid numbers on this, uh, but we know it's it's quite large. Uh, the uh, loss of faith 
have good positions, large out-migration from the, con- from the country. And what we know is a demographic cliff facing them uh, that is much more staggering than ours, which is already bad enough, that you have many, many more old people than you have young people in a country that probably has already dropped below a billion people. Uh, again, very difficult to get solid numbers. But they have some very, very serious challenges. And, what, and the last thing that the Chinese Communist Party wants is a poorer China, which they believe will ultimately lead to the kind of social unrest that could uproot the party's control over that country. Um, so there, there are lots of, uh, lots of things to think about in this relationship. Uh, in my view, uh, all of these problems, and I, 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 I don't gainsay a single one of them, not, not all of these problems notwithstanding, engagement is our best strategy to try to right this ship and find incremental pro- uh, progress forward. Listen, you, you can only hope, uh, and listen, the, the, the thing is, at least they are discussing things. At least they're acknowledging yeah. each other. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, I guess that's a positive here. But uh, we'll see. We'll see as far as uh, what follows down the road here, uh, as far as the execution of these agreements and everything else, who holds true, who doesn't. Uh, that'll be the key. Before we let you go, uh, you had a vote uh, taking place uh, late last night as far as government shutdown possibility, David, the Senate passing that stopgap to keep it open. Those averting a shutdown tomorrow midnight, it was, I think it was 87-11 in favor. Uh, So you temporarily funding the government through the 19th of January, approved by the House on Tuesday, sent to the president and out of sign. Uh, all in all, you know, you have Johnson reaching across the aisle to get some votes again. I'm just wondering, is he going to get the same vitriol uh, that Kevin McCarthy did? That's the big question right there. But uh, in essence, I never thought there would be a shutdown. They get it in place. So who knows what's, what happens mid-January, though? That's absolutely right. Uh, this uh, stopgap measure has passed with broad support. Uh, we already hear the saber rattling from the far right wing of the Republican Party. Uh, they uh, have not gone after him hammer and tong. There is not a motion to vacate at this point in time. I very much doubt that there will be before the 19th. And basically what seems to be the case, while none of them will say this openly, uh, will give you uh, the avoidance of a government, shut- government shutdown right now, provided that we return to, in the House, what's called regular order, uh, which is passing spending bills in the 12 major categories of the budget, uh, which had been the way that budget deals got done uh, through the 1970s, but hasn't been since, uh, where we passed these large omnibus spending packages, the entire government funded with a single vote. Uh, and what the uh, Republicans want to do is return to the process that we uh, that we used from uh, the Second World War uh, through the Carter administration, uh, which is to look at each of these areas, a so defense separate from uh, Medicare and Medicaid, uh, separate from transportation, et cetera. Um, and that will be a very, very difficult thing to do, because what they have also done in the rules that were amended when Kevin, Kevin McCarthy was speaker or en route to becoming speaker is that anybody can offer any amendment on any one of those bills. And they don't have to be thing, anything germane to, let's say, a transportation funding bill. Uh, it could be about abortion. It could be about 
uh, prayer in schools. It could be about absolutely anything. Uh, so instead of having all of those problems come up once, you'd have them come up 12 times in the context of each piece of legislation. Uh, we can debate about whether that's a good approach or a bad approach, but we know it's going to be very, very rocky, and it has to be dealt with right from, well, starting now, really, but uh, from the beginning of the year with a 19-day window uh, for the next shutdown warning. Indeed. We'll keep an eye on things. David, it's so good to have you back in the fold. Uh, if we don't talk, great Thanksgiving, my friend. I'm sure we'll get you in December. How's that? That sounds good. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too, in advance.